Hey, this is Jimmy Smith. On today's Unlocking the Cage podcast, Sugar Sean O'Malley had some interesting comments about fighter pay. Is he right? Is he wrong? We discuss it today. Also, I interview my former broadcast partner, Sean Wheelock, who is now part of the Triller commentary team. What did he think about Holyfield versus Belfort? My former broadcast partner, Sean Wheelock, Triller commentator. How you doing, man? Jimmy, what is going on, brother? First of all, I'll just say, you know, you and me go back 2008, I believe. 2008 yeah, that's the first in Almeida, one, yep. I was trying to think about this in the hotel today. I'm so, we have another trailer tonight, so I'm still in South Florida. I think you and me did roughly 160 events. I'm going to say 1,800, 1,900 individual fights. So I am so happy for your success on this program. You're crushing it on WWE, genuinely. I know it's your family, so I'm really happy for you, pal. Thank you, man. Appreciate that a lot, dude. So what was it like? Uh, first off, how did you get involved with this whole Triller event? Uh, did they reach out to you? What was the deal where you became involved with Triller in the first place, man? Tell us about that. So I got, Jimmy, I got a call from, yeah. from Triller, someone on the boxing operations side. And I could tell that I was shortlisted, but they were feeling me out. That maybe they were talking to other play-by-play guys. And as we're talking over the phone, I said, look, I'm going to stop you right here. I would love to be your play-by-play guy, and I won't say no if you offer, but that's not really what I want. I have this idea for a role, and I pitched it to them as the late, great Harold Letterman, what he did on HBO Boxing, and what the great Mike Pereira does on the NFL on Fox. I said, I don't just want to give the scorecard. I want to talk about refereeing. I want to talk about rules interpretation, the differences of the commissions, why referees do what they do. You know, anybody, my next-door neighbor is an eye surgeon, Jimmy. He can say 10-9 blue, or he can say 10-8. Anybody can say that. Explain the scorecards. Why are judges scoring that way? Or in the case of one of our thriller fights, uh, that we had the Joan O'Carroll fight. I had it a draw, as one of the Florida judges did. The other two had it in favor of Carroll, majority decision. So I'm not saying someone's wrong. I'm breaking it down. That was what I pitched. The person I talked to said, I really like this. Hold on. He called me back 30 minutes later and said, you're hired. And I've talked to a lot of other organizations, including one that you used to work for, about this role. And I've gotten close, and no one could fully grasp because, you know, you get, the, you know, you get targeted as, oh, you know, Jimmy's the fighter. Sean's the play-by-play guy. Yeah. And Triller were the first people who got it. They understood the role. They embraced it, and I could not be happier. Let's start out then with maybe the – as as my producer was saying uh, before you came on, one of the bright spots of uh, the last couple of Triller events, the referees, I know Evander Holyfield upset about the way the fight ended and all this stuff. I thought the referee did an outstanding job stopping the fight when he did and the way he did because it looked as though maybe he hadn't taken a ton of damage, but he could see the future of where the fight was going and that Evander Holyfield didn't have the physical tools to get a victory. How much should that be a factor when a fight is stopped? Not just where the fight is, but where the fight is going and what the ref can see. Yeah, Jimmy, you, you get this. As a great fight commentator and a fight guy and as a trainer and as a former professional fighter, there have to be thresholds for referees. And, you know, my lucrative non-paying job is I'm in year seven on the Kansas Athletic Commission, something I adore. And we tell our referees, there's a different standard. Not all referees want to admit this or hear this. There's a different standard. Your 19-year-old kid who's in his AMI MMA debut, he has the proverbial shorter leash than someone who's fighting in 
in a, in a legacy card as opposed to someone who's fighting in the UFC, as opposed to someone who's fighting in a UFC title fight. And Evander Holyfield, I said this on the air after the stoppage, I said at some point referee Sam Burgos has to understand this is a 58, soon to be 59-year-old man in Evander Holyfield. This isn't Evander Holyfield who beat Riddick Bowe and George Foreman and Mike Tyson in the 90s. This is a man who's in great shape. He's a legend. He's one of the greatest heavyweights of all time. But he's also less than a month shy of his 59th birthday. He's been knocked down. His balance is terrible. And he's taking huge unanswered shots from one of the biggest strikers under heavyweight in the history of MMA. I thought it was a great stoppage by Sam Burgos. I, I said that on the air. I told him personally after the fight. And for all the criticism Triller has taken, most of which I think is unfair, and I'm happy to talk about that, that's something no one can criticize is the stoppage. The only disquiet you hear really is from Holofield and the most ardent Holofield supporters. And I don't even know if I've heard that. It's really just from Holofield, and that's his pride. Yeah, it is. I, I totally agree with the stoppage. I'm speaking with uh, Sean Wheelock now, uh, Triller commentator. He does a, a role that is uh, a bridge between, let's say, the analysts and the commission, the the refereeing, the judging, that's where uh, Sean Wheelock steps in. So the criticisms that, that a lot of people have and I have is the fact that Holyfield looked as bad as he did, that Triller shifted the fight from California to Florida um, in order to get this fight done, and Holyfield looked as bad as he possibly could have considering his age and his time off and every, every factor that could make him look bad. He looked that bad. It wasn't as though, well, he went in there and showed a lot better than we expected. He looked as bad as I expected him to look. Um, that that criticism about Holyfield's involvement in this fight, how do you feel about that? So I've come to look at things differently than even when you and me were commentating. You know, our last year together at Bellator was 2015, and, and yeah. early in that year I got put on the Kansas Athletic Commission. So really since you and I have worked together, I've gained a different perspective. I've come to believe that commissions are there as the safety net. The promoters can and probably should try anything because that's what promoters do. They're going to offer things. Hey, let's do this. Let's do that. Commissions are the last line of defense. I love the Florida Athletic Commission. Their exec director, Pat Cunningham, is a good friend of mine. I saw him yesterday. I'm going to probably see him in two hours. They have great fight doctors here, including Don Muzi, who's the uh, president of the Association of Ringside Physicians. Holofield was given additional medicals. He was, he was given um, things that go well above and beyond what a typical 24-year-old fighter in a boxing match would give, and it was deemed safe to fight. At that point, then it comes to the responsibility, I think, of the referee and the ringside physicians. And again, Sam Burgos, the referee, did a great job. The ringside physicians did a great job. Holofield was blown out. It was a squash. He was embarrassed. I don't think he was really hurt. You saw he did the post-fight interview with Sean Porter immediately after the bout, Jimmy. Uh, you know, I'm sure his head was clear. I think Tito Ortiz would probably, although I talked to him afterwards backstage and he seemed fine, I'm sure Tito Ortiz would probably have a worse headache now than Evander Holofield did. But I don't blame the promoters in, in any case. And I'll give you an example. There was a, a fight in another Midwest state that was not named Kansas. And there was a lot of hand-wringing about, about the abilities of a fighter, and the commission wound up doing it. And then the promoter took a lot of criticism. And we talked about this in Kansas because it was a, a close-by Midwest state. And we said, you know what? If there's really an issue with the fighter, that's what comes down to the commission. They have to be licensed. It's, you know when you're a kid and your parents always say, you know, it, it's not a privilege to – it's not a right to drive. It's a privilege to get your driver's license. That's how I see with fighting too. So – the commission is that last line of defense. 
they're going to run you through medicals. You're going to have to turn in all of your blood work, all of your paperwork, you know, your, your neurological, your CTE. You're going to have to turn in your ophthalmology, all of that. And then you're going to be checked out by the ringside physician there. And then there are going to be inspectors in your dressing room until you walk. So I understand why people are upset because it's a Vander Holyfield. I didn't want to see Holyfield lose that way either. I love Holyfield. Jimmy, you know that. You love Holyfield. I know yep. that from all of our years on the road together. But I don't think it was an unsafe fight. If, if yeah, Holyfield had taken the knockout that Tito Ortiz did, there would certainly be a lot more criticism. But, you know, uh, you and me see horrible knockouts every week across all combat sports. I think this is more legacy and people not wanting to see a fallen hero than anything else. I personally did not see it as an unsafe situation. I think Florida was right to license it. I believe we would have licensed it in Kansas because all the procedures, all the medicals were followed. Here's my question that I can't get around, Sean, that I personally can't get around. If I drive a car off a lot, I take my car in to get repaired. They said, we've done all the checks. We've done everything. We've looked at it. All your hoses are good. Your fluids are good. Your engine's great. Everything's testing normal. And I drive the car off the lot, and it collapses in the parking lot. Whatever they did was wrong. Holyfield couldn't throw a punch on balance. Holyfield couldn't take a punch. Holyfield couldn't fight. And the idea that whatever they put him through, whatever they did, clearly didn't determine his ability right. to effectively compete. So the, the proof is kind of in the pudding. So if you go, now, Sean, I know he went through the test. I know he did all these things. I know he passed all these things. My point is, if you pass all these things and look like Evander Holyfield, there's a, there's a problem there. What, what, what can be done about that? Uh, what can be done is that your people are your advocates. Something, again, I've learned being on the Kansas Commission, Jimmy, is we teach our inspectors to really watch between rounds. In boxing, MMA, Muay Thai, bare knuckle, it doesn't matter. It let way any combat sport. Watch between rounds because some of the biggest bullying, and I know this drove you crazy when we commentated M1 and Bellator together, was yeah. when you would see bullying behavior by the corner. Your, your people, yeah. be that your manager, your trainer, your cut man, your agent, your publicist, they're your biggest advocates. So if someone is being put in a bad situation, you know, Evander Holyfield didn't negotiate this contract. He didn't make this fight. He has a huge team who are probably paid a great deal of money. Where are they to look out for him? You know, a, a commission test, they're, they're doing, they're looking at eyes, they're looking at heart, it's EKG, it's neuro, it's things like you have to do push-ups and duck walk, it's blood pressure, but there is no test anywhere in the world of combat sports, yeah. literally yeah. and figuratively, literally globally, where a doctor is saying, okay, I need to watch you spar eight rounds, okay, I want you to go three minutes on the heavy bag, okay, I want you to, I want you to start in side mount, now go, okay, now start in half butterfly guard, go, that just doesn't happen. So I think it falls to people. But, you know, I look at this on the other end, too. I go to so many house shows in Kansas, MMA shows, and the worst blowouts I see are at the AMI level because you don't really know is a commission. You know, sure. you, you have sure. a, a, a AMI debuter, and then you find out he wrestled at the University of Nebraska against an AMI debuter, and you find out that he started training in that gym a week ago when they threw him into a fight. And then you wonder, who's looking out for this guy? Who's looking out for this woman? Who's looking out for this kid? What's going on? So I see it at the top, and I see it at the bottom as well, and everything in between. I think, Jimmy, your people have to look out for you. Certainly people in Evander Holyfield's camp knew what he looked like in sparring, on the heavy bag, 
um, a jump roping, on the speed bag, throwing mitts, and maybe they didn't protect him. I just don't know as a commission, and I speak to this as a guy who's on a commission, I don't know what you can do. There just aren't resources. It's not realistic to say, we need to come and watch you spar 10 rounds. Uh, it's, it's, it's almost that, that unbelievable difficulty in we're, we're, it's, it's, it's almost like, well, we're testing to see if, if this car can go through a race, but we're not going to drive it around the track once it's, it's, right. y- yeah, it's, it's, it's almost that we can test the, but we can kick the tires. We can slam the doors. We get, you, we can't drive it 10 feet. You know what I mean? Right. And what, what I explained to people. Yeah. Yeah. What I explained to people is. The, the medical test for a fight, you know, this up and down, these, these, you know, uh, as you said, oh, would they do 10 squats? Any idiot can do that off the street. Not any idiot can step in there in an actual fight. My last question for you, Sean, I know you got to go. Do you think that makes Triller and other promoters hesitant to go after guys the age of Evander Holyfield? Everyone I knew who paid for this is upset they paid for it. Um, do you think that maybe makes Triller a little little hesitant to go after guys of this era? Is that a possibility? Yeah, you know, I can't speak for Ryan Kavanaugh. I will tell you that I, I think Ryan Kavanaugh is a genius. And I'll back up if you have just a second, Jimmy. You, sure, you know my close personal relationship with Art Davies, like my dad. He's, you know, the creator of the UFC right. and the Hall of Fame as such. Art and I talk every day. And on show day on Saturday, he said, tell Ryan, and I did, that he's a maverick, he's a genius, I love what he's doing. He said, remind, he said, remind Ryan that not only did Senator John McCain call what I was doing human cockfighting, Jim Coleman in Black Belt Magazine wrote a huge op-ed calling it dirty fighting, it should be banned, and there was a warrant for my arrest in the, in the state of Michigan for defying a judge's orders when the UFC went to Michigan. So he said, tell him to stay the course, the criticism will pass. I think anybody who's a maverick or people that like to use the word disruptor in 2021 are going to take heat. What I believe, and this is my own opinion, not speaking for Triller or Ryan, what I believe is that if you see someone of the advanced age of Evander Holyfield, he's probably going to fight someone closer to his age. And maybe they make a concession that you do one-minute rounds or maybe you're doing 16s. You know, there's a big difference between 44 and being a month shy of your 59th birthday, even though Holyfield's body looked like he was 25. The bigger difference for me, Jimmy, and I think you'll agree with this, is that I know Vidor has not fought a lot recently, but he's still fought a lot more than Holyfield's last fight, which was 2011 against Brian Nielsen. You think of all the fights that Vidor Belfort had since 2011. So you have someone who's nearly 15 years younger and someone who's been active, you know, it's easy, I think, especially when you're in your 20s, as a lot of people listening are, to say anything about 40 is old. But there is a big difference between being in your late 50s and being in your mid-40s, especially activity. So that's where I think you're going to see a difference. But, you know, Triller is not the only one doing this. You know, they've launched it, and they're at the forefront. But you hear about people coming back all the time, all of these different crazy fights. You know, uh, people seem to think that, that Paul and Woodley was, uh, I know you know this, it was Showtime, was Triller. I had a lot of people asking me if I was going to commentate that fight. Sorry, wrong network. You know, there's talk about Riddick Bowe coming back. That's not on Triller. Um, the, the, uh, uh, the, the fight with Lamar Odom, that had nothing to do with Triller. I think you're going to see more of these fights. I just think there's going to be a look at making them even, making them fair, almost almost like a seniors tour and then looking at that. But I don't think the fun is going to stop because I've been here since Saturday. I was at Bare Knuckle on Friday. Another sport that takes a lot of criticism, by the way, got in on Saturday. Internally, everybody feels great about things. We felt like we all had a great show. 
And I think everyone knew that, that sort of the moral high ground and the hand-wringing would come. And fair enough. And, and I get that, too. But it was, it was uh, regulated and sanctioned by the Florida Athletic Commission. No one was transported to the hospital. No one had a concussion. People may not have liked it, you know. But as I look at it with the commission business, it's not the arbiter of taste. And people always have that option. Jimmy, think, think how much criticism we had in MMA when it was called. And you were – I was just commentating, and you were living it, man. Cage fighting, no holds barred, dirty fighting, extreme fighting. I've heard it for five years in bare knuckle now. You know, it's being a disruptor. It's being a maverick. All right, Sean, appreciate your time, my man. I know you got to go. Sean Wheelock, Triller commentator. Thanks so much for joining us, man. Jimmy, anytime. And again, my best to your family. I'm so happy for your success, pal. Hi, everyone. I'm Hall of Fame sportscaster Leslie Visser, and I've got a new podcast, In Conversation, where I'll draw from 45 years of covering the Final Four, the NBA Finals, Wimbledon, the World Series, the Super Bowl, the Olympics. CBS even sent me to the fall of the Berlin Wall. I think you'll enjoy the give and take, so subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts or listen on the SXM app, included in most subscriptions. Sugar, Sean O'Malley interviewed with Ariel Hawani on the MMA Hour. Very interesting. It's all about fighter pay and this kind of chicken or the egg about when you're supposed to take on top talent. I, whether you agree with him or not, he brought up what I think is an interesting debate. So uh, this is what he had to say about being one of the biggest stars in the UFC, and he's not getting paid what he believes he deserves. Let's hear it. To be honest, I feel like I'm one of the biggest stars in the UFC. And if you see what I make, you know, it doesn't show that. But also, I understand that UFC gives me a platform to go out there and be able to sell merch, to be able to get all these sponsors, to be able to make, you know, it gives me eyeballs for YouTube, Twitch, merch, all these other things. So, I mean, I'm not getting paid directly from UFC a lot, but I am getting eyeballs. I'm getting money outside of it from the UFC. So it's kind of a hit or miss. It's a it's a perspective thing. You know, I try to choose to look at it like I'm not making the money I believe I'm worth, but I'm also making money on the outside doing other things from the UFC. Yes. Okay. So so at least he's being reasonable about that. I'm making all this other money, but the whole reason I make all this other money is because of the UFC. He does get that. So that's a very balanced, reasonable point. I don't think I'm getting paid what I should get paid, but I'm making a lot of money that I wouldn't be making otherwise. I get that. Here's where the debate comes in. I think this is very, very interesting about fighting the toughest guys because Sean O'Malley has been criticized for not taking on top 10, top 15 guys. Uh, Chito Vera, I think, uh, KOB, if I'm remembering correctly, was 12th or 13th when he fought him. He's maybe fringe top 15, and he lost to Chito Vera in that fight. So, uh, this is what he says about not taking on the top guys. Listen carefully. If I'm going to make the money I'm making right now, why go out there and fight, you know, the, the toughest guys in the world? Why not make a lot of, why not fight these three fights fighting, not the toughest guys in the world, renegotiate my contract and then make real money fighting real, real tough guys. Chris Montino was a tough guy. Eddie Wineland was a tough guy. Thomas Lameda was a tough guy. Like I'm not, I, it depends. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. No. To me, it's just like I love fighting, and it's a business. I'm trying to I'm trying to make the right decisions. Yeah, I I, I in a weird I do get where he's coming from. That if I can make the money I'm making fighting guys, what 
tough but not great. Let, let's 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 first off let's categorize the Eddie Winelands, the Thomas Almeidas, good not great. They're tough. They're solid. They're you know good. They're not great. Why should I fight great guys without great money? Why should I do that? In a weird way, it makes sense. We're not used to seeing it that way. We're seeing like we. I think a lot of us also see it in a in a a stick and ball sports way where you lead your team to the playoffs in your first year, man, your next contract's great, right? When it's you have success, then you're rewarded long-term for that success. Fight sports are a little different where you're locked in early and your negotiating power doesn't go up until you maybe beat those guys or win a title, but that disparity in between of you're in rookie money and you're generating a lot of income for the promotion itself, which is different than the NFL, you know, Major League Baseball, and these other uh, sports where it's success, then money, basically. Uh, so uh, that's interesting. So here's what we have to say about his contract coming up and what the UFC will pay him, he thinks. Hit it. I really do plan on staying with the UFC. I think I belong in the UFC, but also if I'm going to get offered twice as much money to go do something else, you know, I love – I love boxing. We'll see where it goes. I don't, I'm not, like I said, I love USC. They've been nothing but great to me. Um, and I, I, I think they're going to, you know, after this contract's up, I, I don't think they'll have an issue paying me what I think I deserve, but we might be on a completely different mindset there. They might think I'm not worth half a million or whatever the number is. I've been on like five consecutive pay-per-views. Okay. Uh, Sugar Shalomeli has said and done some stupid things. This isn't one of them. Let, let's start off with some facts. KOB, rudder of this ship, right? The, the even-keeled guy, the anti-Kelly Murphy, who is just fueled by hate and negativity. Okay. Are you with me, KOB? I'm here. Sugar Sean O'Malley, a significant draw for the UFC. True or false? 100% true. Okay. A lot of potential. He could, with a little seasoning maybe, challenge for one of those top five spots at 135, a murderous weight class, it is. But in a couple fights, he could get there and be a real contender, true or false. I believe that to be true, yes. Right. Um, he has not fought the world beaters, the top ten guys that we thought would maybe progress him into that top five stratus yet, fair or not. True. Okay. With all those things being true, do you agree with his stance of I'm not fighting top 10 guys, top five guys until I get top five, top 10 money? Do you understand where he's going with that stance? It's unique, isn't it? It's unique. And I got to be honest, like maybe five years ago, I would have judged this. I get it. Yeah, I get it. Do, don't you? Because when you really get down to it, it's like he's like you said, he makes a good point. It's why would you? I'm going to make the same money to fight this guy as I would, you know. Uh, a Corey Sandhagen or something like that right now, why wouldn't I just wait, fight these next two fights out, and then renegotiate my contract, and then I'll start taking those fights for, for bigger money? I, I, I kind of get that. I, I it, It's different than what we see. You know, we usually hear every fighter get in there like, I want to be the greatest. I want to be the greatest. And I don't right. think Sean O'Malley's not necessarily saying that. He's just saying, dude, what, is it, what does it mean to me right now to do what, it? Exactly. Yeah. It's, and it's, dude, I'm not hating on the guy. And, 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 it's, it's also how many times have we seen John Jones at the top, 
right? At the very top of his field. Um, going all the way through the history of him, you know, Stipe Miocic at the top of his field. They get to the top. They get the title. There's nowhere to go. They're an established name. And they go, I want more money. And the UFC says, no. No, you can't. You're the champ. You can't go anywhere. All right, I won't fight. Okay, give me your belt. Francis Ngannou. All right, not because of money in his case necessarily, but UFC willing to go in a different direction? Boom. All right, interim title shot. You like that? So in a sense, he could be learning from those, right? These guys made a stand later in their career when the UFC was willing to move past them. In In the case of John Jones, the UFC got his best years. And Dana White has virtually said that every time he's talked about John Jones. Legacy, greatest of all time. I got your best years. Nothing you do now is that important. Oh, no, greatest of all time. Yeah, We got your best years, bro. Walk if you want. Every time he says, if he walks away right now, he's the greatest of all time. He's saying, fine, walk away right now. I don't care. Sugar Sean O'Malley is making this stand before his hypothetical prime. He's saying, I'm not going... As far as these guys went, turn around and go, wait a second, I want more money. When you're already champ, you've already given them everything, you already climbed the mountain. He's saying, I'm on my way up the mountain. To climb that mountain, I want some money. KOB, is there something wrong with that logic? Because right now, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling the guy, right? I, I'm feeling it, too. I mean, we've we talked about it for a long time, that number one, like, nothing's going to change in fighter pay unless fighters start doing some things for themselves. Because, you know, Dana White and the UFC don't care about, like, what, what the fans have to say. Sure. About it. Like, they're they're going to keep operating the way they are. And number two, we talked about, like, you know, when you're looking at the money being thrown around for these Jake Paul fights, stuff like that. Some of these guys have left and gone to PFL or Bellator for bigger checks. We're living in an era now where the fighter's going to figure out what's the best thing for me. And I think I kind of think what Sean O'Malley is doing is brilliant, actually, I, when you get I right like down it. to it. I like I'll, it. Yeah. I'll fight out this contract beaten, you know, mid-tier guys, see what I'm worth when it comes back to the renegotiation time, and then I'll start stepping up and, and taking advice when it when it's actually worth something for me. It uh, makes dude's all learning the world. from these other guys, right? He's, He's learning. Yeah. It's brilliant. Last question. KOB, if he jumps into this thriller market, this boxing market, he can make millions, am I exaggerating? He gets yeah, he gets into any of these crossover fights. Like right now. Like Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. The dude has decent hands. He can't beat right. Gervonta Davis knocks his head off, right? Devin Haney kills him. You know, Lomachenko makes him look like an idiot. Okay, but he can fight a decent I don't know, MMA guy, a used up lightweight, somebody old, and look pretty sweet and make millions on Triller and he knows it. He knows it. So I can get in this freak show box and stuff. I'll be the, 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 the lightweight freak show and watch what happens. I will make money. Unlocking the Cage with Jimmy Smith is part of the SiriusXM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Michael Russo. The associate producer is Kelly Merck. Sound design by Nuri Balin. Andy King is director of sports podcasting for SiriusXM. Special thanks to SiriusXM's Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, Steve Cohen. And SiriusXM Fight Nation Program Director, Marissa Rivas. SiriusXM Podcasts.